I, I have the joy, really, of, of presenting um, my dear brother and colleague, Brant Gillespie, who's going to bring the word this morning. You know, and I want to thank him for several things. Number one is because yesterday, Saturday, I was able to enjoy a great time with Meche walking around in this beautiful park, and I could do it without uh, the weight of having to preach this morning on my shoulders, you know, it, it, it sometimes, you know how it is, your Saturdays become contaminated because you have to preach the next day and that's all you're thinking about and so on. And then the morning you wake up really early like I do to prepare, but I had a wonderful time. I, just, I was just carefree knowing that Brandt was on the hot seat at that moment. But uh, thank you, Brandt, uh, also for all you do. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, the Word of God, the Spirit that you bring, Charlotte as well who's sitting here, you guys have become absolutely instrumental in the life of Congregation Lion of Judah. And you have become pastoral presences, elements in the life of the church. I consider you pastors of Congregation Lion of Judah. And I want us to have a time, hopefully, in the near future to acknowledge that publicly as well in a more formal sort of way. But I thank the Lord for your gifts, for um, all you do behind the scenes. I mean, all this stuff of uh, uh, the uh, Internet and the, the media that we use in many ways and, and being able to stream our services. This is done with great excellence because you're here at 8 a.m. in the morning or earlier every Sunday to walk around and prepare everything. Your, your appetite for excellence is uh, insatiable. <laughs> and uh, you, keep me, you keep me on my toes. And I thank the Lord for that spirit of excellence as well. But just for the spirit that you bring and how you gradually, very organically have become uh, absolutely essential. To the life of this congregation. And so I'm, I'm so happy that you can occupy this place of honor addressing the Word of God to us. And we thank you and we pray that the Lord will just uh, take over and give us a word that will be anointed and prophetic. God bless you, my brother. Welcome. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor. It is really an honor to be here and to be with you. You don't need another great preacher which I'm not going to even pretend to be because we have Pastor Miranda and he is excellent in the Word of God always, continually. But it is important for us on occasion to hear other voices as well. It's just part of how the Word of God works effectively. Sometimes even with the finest affair, if that's all you get, <laughs> you just need something to compare it to <laughs> that may be a little less. And so I know that you're going to appreciate Pastor Miranda even more. I wanted to share in this message as I've been contemplating what to say, how to share, what to communicate. I want to share a word that is attributed to Dr. Mike Evans. He is an author and a founder of the, the Jerusalem prayer team. And he shared that David Wilkerson, founder of Teen Challenge and founder of Times Square Church in New York, shared a prophetic word with him in a one-on-one -on -one meeting in 1986. On April 3rd, his ministry put out on Facebook a report of that word that was given to him in prophecy in 1986. And that word says, I see a plague coming on the world. And the bars, churches, 
and government will be shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. That was in 1986. You know, people who have prophetic urgence and urgencies and feel like they're getting something from God oftentimes get very clear words, but not necessarily understand the timings of those particular things. And so all these years ago, almost, what, 40-some years ago or nearly, we see that a word of God was given to a man of God who uttered that in a conversation that was codified, written down in the notes of Dr. Mike Evans. Now, what I feel like the Lord would want me to be able to share here today is that God is intentionally getting us ready for this move of His Spirit. He has been doing it. There's been a preparatory work that God, by His Spirit, has been bringing into place. There has been a landscape of many peoples throughout the earth, and particularly here in New England, and particularly here in the Boston area, of praying for many, many years. And there's been a bit of an ebb and flow in it, but there has been a constancy of preparatory prayer. Every generation needs to hear a clear presentation of the claims of the gospel. God's good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. But every generation has a different set of parameters and understandings and needs to actually hear a different preparation of that Word of God to be able to penetrate because we know that there's confusion that the enemy is trying to sow so that there will not be a clear hearing of the Word of God. Every generation needs to hear the gospel in terms that are relevant to the understandings, relevant to the sensibilities. I believe that God yearns for each generation, each generation to be able to have people who are presenters, and I believe Pastor Miranda is one of these key voices and I'm not here to just extol or lift up or, or elaborate or make big his anointing. I know that God has uniquely put Lion of Judah together under the mantle of his leadership and his anointing. And that there is coming a declaration that is going to come out of this house and is going to go around the world and men and women everywhere are going to rise up and listen. This is not a mistake. This is something that has been ordered of God and has been set in place. God has been, as it were, setting a table 
to prepare a skillful enunciation of his word with clarity and precision that is able to navigate and get through and bypass the biases of this generation. This generation is in a very unique place. I don't want to go into many of the details about this particular thing that I'm about to say. But in social media, there are those who have now positioned themselves into places of dominance. They have their ideas. They know what they want to mold the general culture of the earth into thinking. It's happening even now, and we must be prepared. God is going to make a way. He always makes a way, and he's going to make a way for the declaration of the gospel to be able to go forth in an unhindered way. But let me tell you, there's going to be great opposition, and there is going to be great hindrances that are going to be rising up because we are living in the day of harvest. We are alive in this moment. And this moment is designed by God for us to step into. What we look at when we read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, and I'm, most of the, the portions of Scripture that I'm going to use with a couple of exceptions are taken from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What I want for us to focus on here is to really understand that if those words were true in the moment and the time that Jesus was on the earth, they are absolutely true in this moment that we're living in. They are completely true right now. There is a harvest. We are in it. Jesus said these words. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Behold. Look on the harvest. Now what I want to focus on here is some of the temptations and some of the things that could limit us entering into this harvest, you entering into this harvest. You are part of the answer. I'm part of the answer. But it says there is a temptation, and I'm going to call it untimely sleep. When we are locked away, having our homes locked down, having things set down where we can't move, I, I think for a while there was quite a bit of sleeping that was going on. And people maybe needed to catch up. 
you might have needed to catch up on your rest. I know for myself and I know for Charlotte, there was a part of this that was just, we just needed to have a bit of a refreshment, a little bit of rest. But there is this temptation, and I'm just going to talk about it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and again, King James Version of the Bible. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him, and they said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How, then, does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. I want to look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. This particular portion of Scripture, I actually believe God gave me an insight into this. And it came at the night of the National Day of Prayer. Some of you might be aware that God gave us the privilege for Massachusetts to be able to host the National Day of Prayer here out of Lion of Judah. And this was a great blessing. But I went back at night and I watched the national broadcast and parts of that. And Rick Warren, at the end of that broadcast, very close to the end of that broadcast, he brought out this particular portion of Scripture. And it does pertain to this whole thing of the harvest and the wheat and the tares. And it says, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And what struck me, Pastor Miranda, for years, I've heard even Jonathan Frizz. I, I actually worked with David Duplessis back in the, in, the, in the 70s. And he was praying about and working for and laboring to bring about the unity of the body of Christ. And when we look at that and we say, how is this going to happen? And Jonathan Frizz has told us so many times, he said, God has always answered the prayers of Jesus. So we know that this prayer of Jesus, that they may be one, Father, even as you and I are one, is going to get answered. God spoke to my heart that when this emphasis came, I saw it. I mean, it was like a revelation to my spirit. This is how. It says, 
In the, I'll read it again. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. When Jesus gave that example in that parable about the sowing of the wheat and then the sowing of the tares in the field, his answer on what to do was let it grow together. Just let it grow together. Because when the wheat and the tares are young, you can't tell the difference. But you can tell the difference once they mature. Our tendency is to look at one another and judge one another. And who are we to judge? I mean, really, really, who am I to judge? If someone has named Jesus as Lord and Savior, then I'm going to step back and I'm going to let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. He is the judge of all mankind, everyone. What we need to do is we need to say, if they believe in Jesus, then I, I'm just going to quiet my soul. I'm going to let time tell the story. I know how faithful God's been in my life to bring me through so many different things. I'm telling you, if you looked at my life at, a, at, at some given moments, you'd say, he's a false man. And yes, I've been false. Not intentionally in the sense that your heart is in torment and you're, and you're tortured and you're doing things that aren't right. But, but Romans 7 tells us all about that anyway. We know that there are things and seasons and moments that we don't actually hit the mark. But how faithful is God to us? But how quick we are to judge others. If they're still in process. And, and maybe they've been deceived. And maybe they've come under delusion. And maybe they're in deception. God is going to be faithful to them. Like he's been faithful to us. But we are living in desperate times. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13 from the New King James Version we're reading, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps, and he went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us 
and you. But go, rather, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, they went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. After, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. There's another portion of Scripture that just really struck my heart, and it's from Proverbs. It's just one verse, Proverbs 10.5. It says, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. I don't want to be someone who's asleep in the harvest. This is the harvest, people. This is the harvest. Get ready. In fact, I'm going to say this. It's a little off topic, off notes. But you, you are the epistle, read and known of men. Paul said those words. He said it to the church. He said it to the people of that time. But more than ever, you, I, that's why we can't be quiet. That's why we can't shut our mouths. That's why we can't hold back and withdraw. We've got to put it out there. Ask God for wisdom on how to do that, but you've got to put it out there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But they're reading your life. And God is opening up doors of opportunity to be able to share that. I'm going to read one more portion of Scripture. This is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 47, and it's the story of Jesus in Gethsemane. Then Jesus came to them, to that place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful, deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, this cup, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came, and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them. He went away again, and he prayed a third time, 
saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he is still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders to the people. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, and this is from the New International Version. It says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why uh, it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I just simply say, wake up, wake up, wake up. I'm sorry, I say it again, wake up. I say it again, wake up, wake up. Don't think that this is not pertaining to your life. I mean, these disciples, they walked with Jesus daily. These were the three, Peter, James, and John, who were the closest to him. He took them into that moment of grave circumstance where he was knowing what he was going to be facing. They couldn't stay awake. So there's no condemnation here. There is no condemnation on any of us Look, we've all been asleep. We've been asleep and we're, God is saying to us, wake up. It's time to wake up. We need wisdom and discernment for these times as we engage because we're going to have to rise to a new sense of understanding. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 through 24, it says, for then... There will be a great tribulation such as has never been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there, do you do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise with great signs and wonders and deceive even the elect if possible. There is deception. We're in deception. There's a great, great deception coming over the earth. But we must be alive, awake, alert. And in Chronicles chapter 12, Beginning at verse 23 and then skipping down to 31 and 32, there's a portion, and I, I put these together, that simply says, Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord, who were designated 
by name to come and make David king. That's down in verse 31 and 32, if you're following. So the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. They were among those who were brought, and there was really an innumerable number that gathered to make David king when the time came and they knew what was about to happen and what was going on in Saul's condition and the, and the brokenness that was there. But it says, the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I pray the mantle of the sons of Issachar to come upon the people of Lion of Judah. I pray wisdom to understand the times. One more scripture, and then I'm going to ask Charlotte to come. Because she's got something to add to this message and to share. And it's going to just come into the middle of it, and then I'm going to wrap up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So that this day should not surprise you. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. Charlotte. For just a few moments, I would like to um, just share my heart with you. God has been burning this in me for two years. It started out at Northfield a couple years ago. And it's from the Song of Songs, and I think it can take uh, some of these concepts that Brand has been sharing with us from the Word of God this morning and bring it down into a very personal heart level. I know that all of us have gone through some pretty serious soul-searching in these last couple of months. And I've been drawn back into this book was actually the favorite book of my mom's and she spoke on it frequently but it's an allegory of Christ in the church represented by two main characters a lowly Shulamite maiden who falls in love with a man that she thinks is a shepherd he's actually disguised as a shepherd and he is a king and there's so much controversy about this book but there's also much treasure in it it's a love story that unfolds in the Song of Songs, and it's a revelation of the pure love relationship 
that Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom, is desirous of cultivating and drawing us into. In chapter one, that maiden falls in love with a shepherd, as I said, who is actually a king. And she longs to follow him, to know him. And she says, tell me, you whom I love, where do you graze your flock? And where do you rest your sheep at noonday? When we first come to Jesus, we really don't recognize who he really is. We don't know the majesty, the unfathomable love that he has for us. I was only a four-year-old child when I invited Jesus into my heart on my mother's knee. But we enter into this lifelong process of coming to know our King and being transformed by his amazing love. And this book is about the journey of a bride. And in chapter 2, the king invites her to his banqueting table, and she enjoys the lavish spread of blessing that he has and declares that his banner over me is love. There's a lot of conjecture about Bible scholars as when this marriage and wedding actually takes place, whether it's chapter 3 or chapter 4, but at any rate in chapter 3, there is a nighttime that comes to the Shulamite maiden. And she's keenly aware that her beloved is not with her. And she says, all night long, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I could not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, and I will search for the one my heart loves. And she talks to the watchman, and she says, have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves, and I held him, and I would not let him go. Her beloved was the most important person in her life. And then in chapter 4, she began to recognize that there is a cost to her relationship. And she has to be willing to go to the mountains of myrrh, which means suffering, and to the hill of incense, which is worship. And there is a cost to worship. There is a cost to drawing close to our beloved. And finally, it's this chapter 5 that's been burning in my heart for two years, and it really ties in to what Brand has been speaking. This scenario in chapter 5 of Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, describes, I believe, a scenario of the current state of the church, particularly here in America. Jesus is calling us. He's calling us as a bride. He is calling us to a deeper level of commitment to him. He's calling us to a love that is willing to open the door of our heart, whether it's convenient or not. And he's dealing with our intrinsic motivation. His desire for us is that his love become the consuming passion of our lives. And I have been questioning my own heart these last two months and saying, God, do I really love you? 
In the days to come, there is nothing that is going to sustain us but the purifying fire of God's love. That is what's going to give us the strength and the courage that we are going to need. We will only be able to endure as we press into God and we get infused with his love. And I want to read this scenario in chapter 5. Beginning at verse 2, the maiden is asleep. It's late at night. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove. My head is drenched with dew and my, heart, my hair with the dampness of the night. And she responds with a fistful of excuses. I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening and my heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my lover and my hands dripped with myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but he had left, he was gone. My heart had gone out to him when he spoke. I looked for him and I did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, these watchmen of the walls. O oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. And then she faces questions from her friends. How is your beloved better than others? How is your beloved better than others? It speaks very powerfully because I believe in my heart of hearts. This is what I've been weighing with the Lord. We're going to face some bruising. We're going to face some beating. It may even be from the watchmen of the city whose purpose is to protect. But we have to come to a place where it just doesn't matter anymore where we are so consumed by the love of Christ, like Paul says, the love of Christ compels me, that we are able, we are able to walk through this. And I just pray that we will be able to answer this searing question. How is your beloved better than others? As this maiden came to be able to answer. Chapter 8, finally it says, Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her beloved? This is what God is calling to us to. A total, utter, absolute reliance on him. Full surrender as we lean hard on our beloved and that we are passionately in love with him a pure love that will sustain us and drive out all fear because perfect love casts out fear.
Who is this coming up out of the desert? This is a different kind of desert, but it is a kind of desert that we're living in. In Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, David wrote these words from the desert. He wrote the Psalms that are in the early part of the 60s, the 61, 2, 3, 4, when he had been driven into the desert place. He says, oh my God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You can read the rest of that. I'm not going to. But I'll tell you what. God intentionally takes us into desert places. You look at how he led Moses into the desert to train and refine him. How God took the whole nation of Israel into the desert to prepare them to come into the promised land. God allowed Absalom to drive David into the desert place to complete the work in him. God placed John the Baptist. The Apostle Paul even led Jesus. It says he led, the Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert where he would be tried and he would be tested in preparation for his ministry. Don't think for a moment that these circumstances that you are in, that I'm in, that we are all in, has not been designed by God. We can argue about how these things happen till the cows come home, people. I'm not talking about theologically trying to narrow and slice, tiny slices of, of theology to be able to know exactly how those things happen. He's in control. He's over it all. He's permitted it. He's allowed it, whatever. What matters is there's an intention for us to come into the desert place, just as what Charlotte was reading about the Shulamite woman. Being in that place, being in that state, being in that mindset. Oh, here he comes again, late again. Like a, like a, like a woman asleep, saying about a husband who's been out late again. Oh, do I have to get up? Do I have to? Oh, can't I just lay here? Just ignore? But then he was gone. It's those desert places. It's the places of loss. It's the places where our souls recognize, wow, what's going on here? We're in a desert season. There are places on the earth where 
It's not metaphorical. It's literal. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you will just come to every one of our souls and you will show us how to wake up. How to wake up. That word of the Lord says, wake up, O sleeper. It's a kind word. It's not like shake you and get moving. It's please, please, church. Please, my friend. Please, brother. Please, sister. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to come alive. It's time to embrace Him. It's time to experience what He's designed for you. People are reading your lives. You're the epistle. What is your life saying? What is your life saying? We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. It doesn't matter if you've missed the mark. What matters is today. What matters is what you're doing now. What matters is, are you going to stay asleep and lay there and ignore the moment? Or are you going to enter into this amazing opportunity that God is giving to planet Earth? I've never heard so much prayer in my life. That's the truth. I've never been involved with so many prayer meetings and prayer gatherings. It's happening. Everywhere you look, if you look, there are men and women that are coming into agreement. There are men and women that are standing strong. There are men and women who are rising to the moment. Rise, Church of Jesus Christ. Rise. This is your hour. This is your day. This is your moment. Come and rise to the opportunity. Declare He is the Lord and Savior of the earth. Don't worry whether somebody else's doctrine is right, whether somebody else's message is absolutely right on or not. Don't worry. If they're naming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, say, bless them. Bless them. Your calling is different than theirs, maybe. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Do what you're called to do. This is the time for Congregation Lion of Judah to begin to rise to its anointed, appointed task and calling. It is the time to be able to move into the moment of history that God has designed as His Word came to Pastor Miranda through that, that amazing vision that he had of Jesus looking up over the city and all of the demonic things scattering. Today. It happens today. It's been happening. And it's going to happen some more.
But today, you make the determination, I am engaging. I am engaging. I am not sleeping through this one. I'm not going to miss this move of God's Spirit. I am going to be a part of it. I am going to be involved. Give me a, give me a, a, a trumpet to blow. Give me a song to write. Give me a task at hand. Give me someone to pray for. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to make a difference. This is your hour, Lion of Judah, across the world. This is Lion of Judah around the world. Rise up. Hallelujah. Pastor, I, I'm going to ask you to come and take us home. The Lord is going to do something here. I don't know what it all means. I don't know what it all takes. But I do know that it is our season and it's our moment. And we are entering into it gratefully, gladly, responsibly. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we simply immerse ourselves in the prophetic word that has been declared this morning. And this is what we ask more and more for you to speak clearly to your people, for you to activate the spirit of Samuel, the spirit of Daniel, of Elijah, of Elisha, of Moses, of David, men who heard from you, Lord, of Deborah, who heard clearly from you for the moment that they were living in, and even for thousands of years ahead of them as well. And they declared your word. They were immersed. They were put into your thought stream. And they could then speak your word and read the times and, and declare the, the time. And Father, we believe that we are in that moment where you are activating things that have been reserved for such a time as this. That we are in a moment where you are accelerating your dealing with the nations. And that you are calling your people to a state of alert. Yes, you have kept us like soldiers reserved for the time of war. And we have been able to enjoy family. And we have been able to do our daily chores as soldiers. And to live relatively inactive lives. But now you are activating. You are calling us to, into a new level of alertness. Into a new level of commitment. Into a new level of sharpness and involvement and exercise. And Lord, we welcome that time. We acknowledge the time that we are living in. We accept that this is not business as usual, that this is a, a much more concentrated, intense time that we have been entered into, that we have not walked this way before, <clears throat> that all the things that we have waited for like the Israelites in the desert. Now, it's a, it's a different time where we enter into the actuality, the reality of what we have been celebrating by faith. <clears throat> and we are called into a new stage of the journey. And I pray that our spirits will be activated. <clears throat> that wherever your people are this morning, they will feel the urgency of the call. 
And we say amen and amen and amen, Father. Let your word, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your work be activated. Let it be accelerated. We enter into those deeper waters, <clears throat> into those currents that are stronger. And we're not afraid. We're, we, we rejoice. Father, just let us be up to the task. <clears throat> Endow us with your spirit in such a way that we will not fail. We will not falter. We will not fall back. We will flow in accordance with your movement. We will march in step with you. We will synchronize our spirits and our minds with you. And Father, Lion of Judah belongs to you. We, you don't have to ask for permission for anything. The, this place belongs to you. Every atom that constitutes these buildings, every, every inch in this property is yours. Every ministerial resource Every individual that you have been fashioning and honing and working on for all these years, they belong to you. We belong to you. There is nothing that belongs to man here, Father. It is all for your taking. It is all for your use. We lay it at your feet. Nothing would give us more joy, more cause to celebrate, more honor than to find ourselves working overtime for you, spending ourselves for you every cell firing father on all pistons as we we're saying this morning for your kingdom we want to burn to a crisp father for you and for your kingdom so here we are lord send us send us and cover us with your blood because we will not move unless you protect us unless you cover us unless you um, cover with your, 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 your love and your protection because there will be conflict and there will be persecution and there will be attacks and there will be accusations. But Lord, it will be the most honoring time that we will have ever lived to fight for you, to struggle for you. And we thank you because we're secure in your hands. We seal this time, Father, this, this holocaust, this offering that we have raised for you this morning. Receive it now. And bless your people wherever they are. And prepare your army. In your name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God.